This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 29th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Members of Congress would like many lower-income Americans to save more, but some of that new savings would be subsidized by every other taxpayer. That's just one element being pondered in what's termed the EARN Act in Congress. Cato's Romina Baccia discusses what else is in there. There are numerous retirement accounts that you can get. Uh, one through an employer, you can get a 401k, a 403b. You can, uh, on your own, get an IRA. Uh, the health savings account is perhaps the best uh, retirement savings vehicle uh, out there. Um, what does the EARN Act do with respect to retirement savings uh, and encouraging people to do it? Caleb, I wish this was a, an easy question to answer, but the EARN Act has become so convoluted and packed full of a variety of provisions that it's hard for me to say just one thing. Um, it makes a number of changes to retirement accounts, particularly 401ks and the nonprofit alternative 403bs. Um, one of the things it does that will be helpful for many older Americans is to increase the retirement account contributions that Americans age 60 to 63 are allowed to make up to $10,000 from a current uh, $6,000 limit. Um, it also allows for um, delaying required distributions, which means that individuals can keep their money in retirement accounts longer if they don't need to withdraw it. Immediately, it moves that age from 72 to 75. Um but there's also a variety of provisions that make the retirement system more complex, especially for employers in order to qualify for tax credits to set up a 401k account, which can be quite costly because of the complexity of rules and the sheer number of regulations. Um, it requires employers to include more individuals that work on a part-time basis or haven't been with employers as long, um, which might deter some of these employers from setting up these accounts in the first place because it imposes higher benefit costs on them. Uh, then there's also a number of provisions that, frankly, don't belong in this bill, like the ABLE Act. Um, that was a bill that was adopted by Congress in 2014 with the primary intention of circumventing asset tests for federal means-tested programs, especially Medicaid and the Supplemental Security Income Program. So, it would it would take the ABLE Act, which allows for accounts currently only for individuals who are 26 and younger, and would significantly expand the eligible population by raising that age to 46. And that means that many, many more people, according to a congressional press release, uh, more than 6 million additional individuals would be eligible for setting up these ABLE accounts where they can shield assets from um, asset tests for Medicaid and Social Security, the Supplemental Security Income Program, which is the, the welfare portion of Social Security. So what does this mean? It means that, first of all, these programs that are means-tested are and asset-tested are becoming more attractive to individuals that might otherwise continue to work because if you can shield more of your assets from these programs and still receive benefits, why wouldn't you? Um, with ABLE accounts, you can shield up to $100,000 in assets um, and still qualify for the Supplemental Security Income Program. Again, that is a, a welfare program for um, individuals with disabilities and older individuals. Um, 
You can have unlimited assets in an ABLE account and still qualify for Medicaid, which is also a means-tested program that's supposed to be intended for um, individuals who, who need support from taxpayers the most. And, and so some of this seems to be aimed at expanding those programs. Yes, yes. And I think what's happened here is um, having followed this retirement bill in various iterations since at least 2019, um, the different lobbying groups, I like to refer to them as the bootleggers and the Baptists in this case, the bootleggers, I'm thinking here of the financial service firms that have a lot to gain from making the retirement system more complex and expanding access for a number of individuals. Um, and then the Baptists, I'm thinking of uh, progressive welfare advocates in particular. Um, the folks shepherding this bill through Congress have done a tremendous job of getting a variety of different provisions as part of this package, some related, some not so related, in order to gain broad bipartisan support. Um, but it comes it comes at, at a price. It comes at a price for taxpayers. It means uh, various ways of expanding the welfare state and uh, potentially increasing costs in some of those ways. Let me just give you one example. Um, there's a provision in the Senate Earn Act that would allow employers to make 401k matching contributions for employees who don't contribute to their 401k, but who instead make payments on their student loans. So that is a way for employers to basically attract talent by saying, hey, if you have student loans you need to pay down, maybe you're not able to contribute to your 401k at this time. We don't want you to lose out on the benefit match that we provide to other employees who are contributing to their 401k. So we'll count your student loan payment um, in exchange and we'll still give you that match in your 401k. Um, that in some that sets up an indirect subsidy for higher education. And what do we know about subsidies for higher education is that they drive up tuition costs. So on the one hand, there's a benefit, but on the other hand, if it increases the cost of tuition in the long run, um, that benefit may ver very well be a wash or those employees might actually find themselves worse off. Uh, I wonder, though, you know, there are a lot of tax benefits that you and I would receive for contributing to uh, a, a 401k, at least a traditional 401k, that is, uh, that reduces your adjustable gross, adjusted gross income, uh, and that lowers your tax rate. And so is, is it proper to view that as a subsidy? Um, it isn't quite the same because what that um, tries to correct for is the double taxation on savings. So income that you, when you first earn the income is taxed as income. Then when you put it into a savings account and those savings grow over time, then you once again have to pay taxes on that capital gain. And so the entire retirement system with 401ks, 403bs, et cetera, was set up to, um, fix that issue of the double taxation on savings, but only in specific contexts in this case for retirement. The problem is that we shouldn't be taxing um, the gains from savings at all because it actually discourages savings, which reduces capital formation, which means that we have a, 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 a smaller economy that doesn't grow as fast because there's, there's, there's incentives built into the current tax system for consuming your income immediately rather than saving it. So. Um, so lawmakers have carved out 
um, certain provisions, primarily for retirement, but also for health savings to correct that issue. Um, but they've done so in a way that's highly complex and that ultimately benefits financial service firms and benefit consultants more than the individuals for whom these programs are intended. What would be far easier and simpler is if Congress just adopted universal savings accounts or removed the taxation on, on savings entirely, either one of those, um, to correct that issue so that individuals would save as much as they want based on their own consumption smoothing choices, what they think they want to consume today and what um, they think they will need in old age without tax distortions in that system um, or a universal savings account. Even, you know, let's start there. It's one small step that doesn't have all the strings attached that the retirement accounts do, including, say, the 10 percent penalty for early withdrawals, a variety of loopholes. If you want to borrow money for certain um, qualified expenses um, before retirement, like let's just make it simple for people to save period. We don't need all this complexity. It's it's not really helping. But that's not what we're seeing with the EARN Act. It doubles down on a system that is highly complex um, and in some ways makes it more complex because it sets up a second tier of 401ks that employers uh, will have to service. So now you have your, your traditional rules from before the Senate EARN Act, and then you have new rules adopted afterwards. So it creates more complexity in an attempt to encourage more savings among a variety of populations, but it does so in a very inelegant way. You mentioned uh, universal savings accounts. Of course, uh, our colleague Chris Edwards has been championing those for years. They have yet to be adopted, but it's always uh, in the mix of uh, policy reforms. And if I understand you correctly, the primary beneficiaries of what uh, the policies that are included in the EARN Act are benefits consultants, financial services firms that uh, are essentially compliance-related firms and advocates for expanding the welfare state. Yes, that's what this bill looks like to me because there are far simpler ways to allow for more easier tax-preferred savings for individuals than what this bill does. Yes, individuals will benefit as well. But I think one of the reasons that we haven't seen the universal savings accounts uh, become enacted, but we're seeing so much support behind the EARN Act is because which special interest group that can be well organized will actually benefit from universal savings accounts. I mean, it's the, it's basically the entire U.S. population, but that's not a special interest group. Um, the public is generally not very organized when it comes to promoting their own interests in Congress. Instead, you see bills like the EARN Act moving forward because you have a clearly defined constituency. Uh, in this case, a mix of bootleggers and Baptists. The bootleggers here. I, I think are financial service firms and other compliance officers, as you mentioned. And the Baptists here are uh, progressives, welfare advocates who um, have managed to include provisions um, that they care about, including a vast expansion of the so-called ABLE Act. What that does is it sets up accounts for individuals to uh, be able to shield um, certain assets from means-tested welfare programs, in particular Medicaid and the Supplemental Security Income Program. Any funds in so-called ABLE accounts 
will not count against Medicaid eligibility at all. It doesn't matter um, the size of uh, the funds in those accounts. And up to $100,000 in assets in ABLE accounts uh, won't disqualify the beneficiary from supplemental security cash income, which is a welfare program intended for older Americans as well as individuals with disabilities. And the whole point behind asset tests is to ensure that um, taxpayer support uh, only goes to those individuals who can't pay their own bills. Um, and that only seems fair. And the ABLE account vastly expands eligibility for these programs for individuals who do have significant assets. And uh, initially, when the ABLE Act passed in 2014, it was um, you had to have your onset of disability to qualify before age 26. The EARN Act would vastly expand that population by about 6 million Americans by increasing the age of eligibility to 46. Another provision that uh, progressive welfare advocates have pushed for is to make the savers credit, which is a tax credit for certain lower and middle income individuals to encourage them to save for their own retirement, to make that tax credit refundable such that individuals who have no net tax liability will still uh, benefit from the provision by just getting straight up cash um, from taxpayers. So how that works is that um, if a qualifying individual puts up to $2,000 a year into their 401k or 403b or IRA. Um, they would get a direct match from the IRS uh, for up to 50% of that. So up to $1,000 a year directly into their retirement account, whether they have a tax liability or not. Um, and then, then they would also be able to withdraw that $1,000 every three years without having to repay it. So that's a way that those individuals could just straight up take that cash and spend it on uh, whatever they so choose. So it's really, it's a handout for saving for retirement um, that's provided by taxpayers. And uh, yeah, so you see that perfect combination of bootleggers and Baptists shepherding this um, these retirement bills, including the Senate Earn Act through Congress, which look to have a high chance of passing um, in in this fall's lame duck session. Romina Baccia directs budget and entitlement policy at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.